This is Kevin Evans with the Chapter by Chapter Life class at Crossroads Assembly of God in Greenville. And we are currently studying the book of Matthew. And last week we looked at uh, chapter 24, which was the beginning of the Olivet Discourse. And uh, Christ answered a bunch of questions concerning the second coming and the end times for his disciples and uh and then started following that up with a series of parables that illustrates what's going to happen with the church and at the end times and trying to give them an idea of uh, uh how everything is supposed to be and there is all kinds of symbolism kind of wrapped up in this and it takes some unpacking so in chapter 25, which is just an extenuation of the same uh, discourse, uh, Matthew didn't put the chapters in, by the way, uh, and so what we have is what's called the parable of the ten virgins, and followed by the parable of the talents, followed by the sheep and the goats. So we've got three different parables that illustrate everything that we started the other day. Everybody with me? Okay, okay. the wrong version of two right here. <laughs> Nathan, Nathan doesn't get any notes. Okay, so <clears throat> chapter uh, verse 1 through 13 is, At that time the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here is the bridegroom! Come out to meet him! What? What? I have glue on my finger. Oh, I, I thought couldn't that was get chocolate. it off. I was trying to keep you from getting out of Nathan, your Bible. Nathan is it. very concerned about my hand, ladies and gentlemen. I, I and, thought he had chocolate on it and, and he wanted to get on his Bible. The, the shiny substance ask. that is on my finger is uh, Gorilla 5-Minute Clear Epoxy with an aggregate of copper mica powder. Use coupon code Crossroads Church for 25% off Gorilla Epoxy next and, time you shop at your local And the thing home. is, it's really messy to work with, and I'm really lucky that that's the only thing that I missed. I'm Did sorry. Did you ever get paint on your hands and you have to use glue gun to it get it? It comes off? off a whole lot easier than this crap does. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't say that on the internet or anything. <laughs> yeah, he didn't say crap at all. Okay. Um, all right. Where was I? <laughs> You totally messed me up. I haven't even finished my reading. Stop messing with me. Verse six, verse I really six. thought you were going to get chocolate on your nose. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. Bums. Okay. No, they replied. There may not be enough for both of us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourself. Go buy your own, they say. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the others also came. Sir, sir, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, I tell you the truth, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch 
because you do not know the hour or the day. All right. There is a whole lot in here. First of all, today in Israel, with a traditional Jewish wedding, what will happen is that, um, oh, hey, I got the epoxy off. How about that? Um, what will happen to, is that the uh, a couple will become betrothed. Uh, but pronounce it any way you like. And uh, they, it's kind of like an engagement, but more so. Uh, here, you can propose to a girl and you have to give her a ring to show her that you're serious. And uh, if uh, things don't go well over the three or four months that you're engaged as you're planning your wedding, uh, you can break it off, walk away without, you, basically you lose the ring. And uh, sometimes you don't lose the ring. <laughs> if she's breaking it off with you, she's really got to give the ring back. So uh, that's kind of the, the weird rules. And if you break it off with her, she gets to keep your cash. Three months three month salary? I think it's supposed to be three months salary. That's a lot of money. Anyway, um, I'm not sure that my wife's ring cost that. Actually, it probably did. At the time, I didn't really make much money. Um, okay, having said that, with, with the Jews, uh, you, you, you got engaged in kind of a public way. There was a big party, and you announced the betrothal. And, the, uh, and it was a legal binding. And so a lot of things had to happen between the families once you had this betrothal going. And all of the uncles on both sides had to go introduce to each other because now they're literally about to be family. And so they all, you know, in the great Jewish tradition, start loaning money to each other. And they, they go into business together. And they figure out, you know, how, you know, I, I can scratch your back if you'll scratch mine. It, it's... It, they, they start working in all this business stuff. Well, if that betrothal breaks up, it requires a legal divorce because a judge has to come in and, 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 and make a ruling because people are banking on these two people getting married and there's a financial interest in it all. And it's not just them. When people get married, it's not just two people that are getting married. It's affecting all kinds of people around them, which is something you need to keep in mind when you start thinking about getting hitched. Okay, having said that, betrothals are serious. So once they're betrothed, uh, then you have all these other things that start happening. Now, what, what, what the, one of the things that the groom has to do is to prepare a place for the wife. They need to have a place to live. He needs to be able to care for them. Now, this was a long time ago, and you didn't actually have... Well, still you have to support your wife, right? You know, you can't go rent an apartment. They, they have to have a place to live. So what would happen is that the groom would say, uh, we are betrothed now. I'm going to go prepare a place for us. And traditionally what you do is you go to your dad's house and with your own expense, you build an extension on your father's house. You build three rooms for you and your wife uh, on the side of your father's establishment because you're working for your dad and, and it's family land. And ultimately, it's going to be your land anyway because of how the system works in, 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 in Jerusalem. And so you have to build this house. And the father of the house, who actually owns the house, has to inspect your building 
before he allows you to go get married because he's the one that's the patriarch in the family. Sounds like my mom when she's observing my driving even though I got my license. Something like that, yes. Yeah. So every generation did the same house just get bigger and bigger since they had to keep building on it? Yes. And every son, every son. So the house is just always being built on, you know. And you've got this wing over here for Jethro and this, this wing over here for Reuben. Jethro. You know, I just pulled that out of the air. Leave me alone. Well, no, I was yes. thinking of Beverly Hillbilly when you said that. You got 95 on that paper, by the way. Thank you. I had two misspellings. <laughs> You're never getting my notes again. Okay, so, so, so the bride, the groom, can't go to the bride to marry her until he has approval from dad and we don't really dad is under no obligation to approve the wedding until the house is finished and so it may take a while for that house to be finished and so the engagement is going to kind of go on now what would what what happens is that the bride is needs to wait on her groom to come collect her traditionally and she's got her, her retinue, the, 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 her friends are there with her because they want to go to the wedding, but they don't know when the bride's coming. I mean, the groom's coming. And so when the groom finally gets his approval, he will gather his men, his, the, the brothers and the, the bridal party, and they will walk from dad's house to the bride's house, and they'll be all dressed up and ready for the wedding, but that you walk it, and then when you get there, you arrive, they arrive when they arrive. There is no cell phone. We don't know when they're going to get here. And the bridegroom, the rise party has to be ready. And traditionally, in Jerusalem to this day, uh, it's, a, it's a game between the bridal party and the groom. And now today we have cell phones and they, you know, people are in the groom's party are calling people in the bride's party and there, there's communication it's a little better than it was but they still go through this little ritual and the the bride's party is supposed to stay awake and uh the groom wants to show up suddenly and surprise them and the trick is to catch them off guard so when they walk in they need to play the horns and tambourines because they were ready you know but if you walk in at two o'clock in the morning and they're all asleep and there was no guard ha we caught them you know and that's that's the game it's part of the wedding ritual and and that's gone on for thousands of years and what happens is with the when the broom shows up suddenly and collects the bride and the party then they walk into the temple and they bar the door behind them because it's a private ceremony with all of your friends but the general public is not allowed in and once the door is barred the door does not get opened there's a guard at the door temple guard usually and he doesn't let you in and if you're not part of the bride party if you didn't have an invitation you get to wait outside the temple until they, they come out and then you can throw rice or whatever their version of it is but there's the people that are in the bridal party they get to see the wedding and then there's everybody hanging outside on the street hoping to offer their their congratulations as they leave but you don't get to watch the vows or or the big dance with the chair and the crushing of the, the, the goblet. There's a lot of there's a lot of traditions in the Jewish. The chair. Yeah. Okay. 
they take the groom after the wedding. There's a big party after the wedding, also happens in Protestant Christians. But uh, the Jews will, uh, there's a tradition where you put the groom in a chair and then all the groomsmen lift the chair into the air and they hold him up, uh, up. And then there's a dance that you do with the groom in a chair in the air. It's kind of like a, a mosh pit sort of, but with more chairs involved. That, Those ideas sound really stupid. Why are you why are you smashing glass more with your foot and why are you dancing on top? Because you the, the bride and groom toast and then you break the cup because that cup will never be used for anything else other than that toast it, as a single purpose. In that way, it's special. Yeah, it's well, only one thing happened. Oh my gosh, Nathan! <laughs> Nathan, Nathan. Actually, to be fair, they wrap it in a towel first. Oh. But anyway, it's. Uh, but that's another. There, there's a lot of wedding traditions. We don't have to go into all of that right now. The point is, Christ is telling this story about the bride party. That's what this is. It's a very traditional thing, and he's talking about a very established tradition that everybody he's talking to is perfectly familiar with. They've all been to weddings and they know how this goes down. And so he says the bride's, the groom's, the, 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 the bride's party had 10 people in it. He's referring to them as virgins. I don't know if that's a necessity with, with the wedding, but it is in this case. Five of them are prepared and they have oil and the other five are not prepared. And the five that weren't prepared beg the others to help them, and they don't because they can't. And then they run off to get oil in the middle of the night, which they can't, it's difficult to do. You've got to wake somebody up for that. And then the groom showed up, and they didn't get into the wedding. And that's something that happens. That's, that's very legitimate. Kenny's here. The gang's all here. Yes. Since uh, Scooby-Doo had the what should we call it besides Mystery Incorporated for them? Maybe we should call it the Christians Incorporated. I think we should call it the chapter by chapter life class at Crossroads Assembly of God. I think we have a name. Call ourselves the Goonies. Uh, no. Or the Monster Squad. Hey, you guys! Okay, I'll stop joking. Mr. Evans will be the one who does the trouble shuffle. Um, it's illegal to be on the street at night without a lamp. If you're skulking around in the street at night in Israel without a lamp, that means you're a thief and you're trying to steal somebody's stuff. You're suspicious if you're sneaking around in the shadows. So you can be arrested. So if the, if, the, if the bride's party is wedding on the groom's party, at night they've got to have lights. And here we have half the party that don't. And, you know, you can't be dancing around in the street waiting on the groom to come without your lamp on or you're a thief and you get arrested. So, so they have gone to address this and the groom shows up and they get locked out. All right, why did Christ tell this story? What is he trying to say after all this stuff about the church being you know, collected in the end times and all that? Who's, who's the groom? Jesus. Jesus. And, and what is he talking about here? Salvation. Yeah. 
I don't know if it's necessarily the rapture. I think that kind of comes in. You, you, you can maybe read that yeah, into you, it. You can read it. Uh, but basically, he's saying that the prepared, the people that are anticipating the coming of the groom and are, are ready to go, they're the ones that are going to enter heaven. And the ones that are unprepared, that have slacked off, that are not paying attention to the details, uh, they, they're not going to heaven. And so there's going to be people left, left behind because they didn't uh, stay alert and vigilant and waiting. And so that's what, it's pretty loaded. And so the, the bride's party is the church, which is why, I think it's this metaphor, that, which is why the church is often called the bride of Christ. And uh, because that's, where we've, that's what he's trying to get to. Uh, what have I missed? The five, uh, the oil, uh, if you want to really work, I think there's a danger in working a metaphor. I just want to say that um, because the initial comparison always makes sense, but when you start digging into the story and trying to match up every little thing in a metaphor to real life, it gets further and further away from a good comparison, you know? And after a while, it just gets silly and ridiculous, and I think it can go too far. Having said that... Uh, People that study this metaphor say that the oil represents the Holy Spirit. So uh, we could say that the the, the good uh, bridesmaids all had the Holy Spirit and the ones that didn't uh, were left behind. Uh, The foolish maidens did not have oil, and so they represent the apostate in the church, people that are in the church but have kind of given up on their own faith, Uh, the lukewarm church from the Old Testament. Um, And then there's some weird doctrine that we don't have to get into at the moment. Okay. So, anything else about the ten virgins? Kenny, any thoughts? Since you just jumped into us here. Okay, good. All right. Uh, Moving on. Verse 14 through 30, we've got the parable of the talents. So, after he points out that Christ is coming and some will be left behind, he goes on to tell this story. Again, this is verse 14, I will be like a man going on a journey. It will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one, he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with the two talents gained two more. But the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. Man, that'd be in big trouble. That'd be like if I take my parents' money and hid it somewhere. I'd be in big trouble. Yeah. Hold that thought. Put a pin in that. We're going to come back to it. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents, so I've gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. 
The man with the two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I've gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things, but I put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you're a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. So here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. Do you, so you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then, you should have put your money in deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have at least received it back with interest. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who is with the ten talents. For everyone who, who has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have even what he has will be taken from him and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Oh my goodness, I have always had so many problems with this metaphor. In what way? I have a business degree. <laughs> and you used it on the comics. Let me, yeah, and I've been bankrupt. So, so let me, let, let, how, about, how about this story? The master is going on a great trip. And so he turns to his right-hand man and he gives him $10,000 and says, manage this for me while I am gone. So the, 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 the right-hand man takes the $10,000 and he invests it in countrywide real estate in the 1990s. And he, it looks really good on paper and it's really paying off. And then we go into the real estate crisis and the bubble bursts and everybody loses all their cash. And the master comes back and he says, so I gave you $10,000. What have you got to show for yourself? And you say, I've got 500, but I've got it invested How does the master feel about his $10,000 then? Just to let you know, I don't know too much about money stuff yet. No. So, no. What happens? There's no guarantee that these guys are going to make money. You know, they doubled their money in the time that he was gone. Do you know how long it takes to double your money in fair and safe investments? Quite a while. I'm thinking 20 years, usually. Uh, you know, that's, that's a generation to double my money. Should have invested in GameStop. Yeah, I'm not investing in GameStop. Uh, does God care that we produce? Why is the master angry in this metaphor? What if he came back and, and the first one had, uh, you know, you gave him $10,000, and he says, well, I still have seven. It's been a rough year. And he takes the seven, and then he goes to the next one, and he says, well, I gave you three. How much have you got? He says, well, actually, I do a little better than that, dude. I have 4000 you know, and uh, I didn't invest as aggressively as he did, but I did manage to get a crop in and resell it, and, and I've made a little bit of an advancement. And then, you know, and then we go to uh, number three, who said, well, I buried it. Here's the one talent. 
Well, how does that guy compare to the first guy who lost money? He lost 3,000 talents. This guy at least still has his one. got problems with this okay I really don't uh, does God care about your profit no. you're shaking your head no of course I telegraphed the answer to you before we did that so I can, can barely trust your opinion but uh, what wh why does he not trust why, why does God not care about our profit if he doesn't why, what is this saying if we don't care about our profit it is spiritual. We're really not talking money. Uh, are there people then who are sent out to spread the word and nothing comes back? Are there missionaries that go into China and they're completely shut down and they're not allowed to speak and then they're killed? Yeah. Well, that's an investment with no return, right? So, God doesn't care about the return. What does God care about? I guess the heart. Or, or the obedience, yeah, the I think. If God says go, you go. Or stay and I'll stay, I'll move, I'll move. Just to quote the, uh, from Chris Tomlin. Or to actually quote from the Bible. Yeah, Job, Job said, though he slay me, I will, yet I will serve the Lord. Yeah. And I think that's the attitude that God wants from us. He wants us to obey him and trust him. Even if what we're walking into is disaster and death. Which is a lot to ask. I know you are a harsh man harvesting crops. That's us. You didn't plant, gathering crops. You didn't cultivate. That's yeah. us. Yeah. Um, I was afraid you'd lose your money. Um, S again, us. Um, so I hit hit it. So yeah. take your salvation, hide it, and look. Hey, look, I'm back with me. Yeah. Every investment. So. When you make an investment, I recently had to rework some of my retirement income because I, I retired and uh, had to move some things around and there's always this question and it's how much risk and how much uh, uh, security are, do you want and when you're investing there's some things that are high payoff but usually a high payoff investment has a lot of risk it can go both ways if, if, it, if it can pay off a lot then you're also risking a lot and if you're going to risk less, then it pays less. And so you have to make a decision on how much risk you're comfortable with. So it's kind of like the greater the risk, the, sorry, the bigger the risk, the greater the reward. Usually, yeah, usually. And that's usually how most investors go. And so what they want to know is, uh, is this money important to you? Can you stand to lose this? You know, a gambler doesn't, a, a wise gambler doesn't walk into a place to gamble unless he's willing to walk out penniless and he's still okay. You know, there needs to be some money somewhere else that he's not gambling with. And, uh, you know, a foolish gambler goes in with money that he can't lose and, 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 and loses it, and then we have trouble. Uh, 
That's someone with a gambling addiction, probably. Sure, but gambling and investment, investment is just gambling with ties on. It's the same thing. Yeah, basically. Uh, so here we are. Christ, uh, the master comes in and he speaks to his three servants. And he rewards the one who aggressively invested and doubled his money. And then he rewards the second one who got a different level because everybody's talent is not the same. Everybody's instruction is not the same. God does not require the same thing of everyone. However, God has a plan for everybody and we all play our role in the great work. We all don't get to be the boss. Everybody doesn't be, get to be president, thank goodness. As a child, I was convinced that I wanted to be president of the United States because that was as high as I could think I'd shoot. And I was as egotistical as can possibly be. I know that's a big shock to everyone in the room. Uh, there was no snickering at all, ladies and gentlemen. That's, okay. Anyway. Uh, okay, good. Uh, but the thing is, you know, not everybody's cut out to be president of the United States. It's not a very fun job. I yeah, it's think. horrible for your health. Don't you ever look at any president before and after photo? That's like a corpse. That's very true. And, and so God is not going to give you more than you can handle. And you, I think we all do have a role to play, but it just kind of depends on what that role is, and you're supposed to rise to your calling. Um, so, so we have this guy that only got two talents. Then we have the guy that has one, and he hid it. You know what? That's zero risk. He didn't lose his money. He didn't invest in Countrywide, which was really ugly for me, by the way. I had a lot of money in Countrywide a few years ago. Oh, okay. I was about to say, yeah. like, I'm not a finance person. It's sort of, so. it, we sort of got burned. Anyway. Um... <clears throat> So I was afraid and I went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. Divorcing that, and I mean that in the broader sense of the term, from from economics. What is what is Christ trying to tell us with the third servant? Um, Use what I give you. Yeah. yeah. Basically, uh, do what I called you to do and use your talents for the kingdom of God. What if he had invested that one talent and he didn't lose it, but he didn't make any more talents? What if he still had the one talent, but it wasn't buried? He broke even. What if he did everything he could get, but he didn't get anywhere? He tried. He, he tried. Mm -hmm. And he I think I think that's what the master wants from him. I don't think uh, he expects us to control the markets. I, I, don't, I don't think he... God wants us to be obedient. He would have moved on up probably to the two-talent guy. Maybe. Like, oh, maybe. Or stayed right where he was, you know. Yeah. I think God wants us invested in his kingdom. And uh, if you get called to China and they never allow you to speak before they chop your head off uh, or, shoot you on the spot. or shoot you on the spot 
And because there are there are many missionaries who have ended up that way. Line up for a photo shoot. Oh my word! Have you ever seen the movie Silence? I have not. <sighs> okay. Talk about two missionaries in a bad situation. That was that's what that was. Anyway. Uh, back of the box. Two missionaries in a bad situation. You know, go rent the movie. Anyway. Um, I, I think God blesses that is my point. God just wants us to be obedient, and that's the point that's of this metaphor. Yep. Japanese mission. Yeah, I think that's, that's a good one. I mean, it also says every good gift and every perfect gift comes down from the Father of Lights. So, so with that, uh, verse 31, we have the third metaphor from the Olivet Discourse. <clears throat> and I'm going to take this on to the end of the chapter. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, and of course here, here's the Son of Man standing in front of them saying this, so that they know he's coming back. He will sit in his throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered around him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. This is exactly what all these disciples have been wanting him to say. They want him to come and rule and put them in charge. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you had clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord... When did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? Uh, when did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me. Who's on his left? Uh, the goats. The goats. Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. <clears throat> for I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger and needing clothes or sick and in prison and did not help you? He will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did, did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Oh, you want me to say something? <laughs> well, it's a metaphor. Yeah. And there's... It represents things. So the Son of Man, that's Christ, comes in his glory and all the angels with him. He will sit in his throne in heavenly glory. This is the in the end days. All the nations will be gathered before him. This is the great judgment. Wait, not white throne judgment. The other one. I forget the term. Uh... He's judging the nations. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep 
from the goats. He will put the sheet on his right and the goats on his left. Um, okay, first of all, a shepherd usually tends a flock of sheep. A sheep is not a goat. A goat is a different animal. They both have kind of wool. Yeah. And they're similar, but they're a different animal. They are, and you don't really shepherd goats. You put them in a pen. They don't act like sheep do. You don't you don't lead a flock like a shepherd does. A baby goat one time tried to play with me with his horns. He wasn't playing. He he was trying to knock you over. Yeah, I I about killed a goat for similar reasons once. Anyway, I got chased by a goat. That's hilarious. I wish I'd seen it. You should have grabbed by the horn and thrown it. Really large woman picked up the goat and saved my life. Uh, Really? I don't think it was saving your life. I think it was saving you from maybe getting bumped like an idiot. I ran a few laps because it was a goat closure and then. That's how we can all exercise. All right. I, I've told this story before, and it has nothing to do with the verses, but I've got to get it out of my system because I'm as obsessive as you guys are. Uh, my, my, when my son was uh, maybe two and just barely walking, uh, we had an Easter service at our church, and we had uh, eggs all over the front yard. And my, my job during the service was to go out and hide all the Easter eggs. So I and like two of the youth kids went out and we spread all these eggs and we hid everything, hid, meaning randomly throw eggs onto well, you know, a, a cut lawn. Was this in Lone Star or uh, Oil Town? This was in Hughes Springs. Anyway, um, so, so we come out after church for the Easter egg hunt and five goats from across the road where, you know, where they were just running loose had come across the road and were eating all of the boiled eggs. They were skipping the candy in the package, but they smelled the eggs and the goats were grazing their way across the lawn. And of course, we all came out in one big bunch and and the kids rush out to collect eggs and suddenly there's these goats in the way. And my little two-year-old is, is, you know, he barely understands what he's supposed to do and he's playing with his basket. And uh, he, he, he's standing in front of an egg, and, and I'm trying to get manage the situation. And I see Clay over here in the corner, and there's this goat behind him rearing up on its back legs about to butt him to next week. And I walked up, and I, I locked eyes with the goat because I was too far away to manhandle it. And the goat locked eyes with me, and then the goat put its front hooves back down and walked away. I stared down and go. Just want you to know. <laughs> there was a time when I was intimidating. Anyway. You stared down bat, uh, basketball? I stared down who? Uh, basketball. So ladies and gentlemen, me and Kat were having a stare. I think it was I think it was just a I think it was just a five dollar goat. I don't think it was safe. No, that would be eligible. You're saying a name for Satan, aren't you? Yes. Shepherds goats stare down a goat. Shepherds do not deal with goats. 
And here we have a shepherd that is separating sheep from the goats. When Christ refers to the chosen, to, to believers, they're sheep. It, 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 it's a consistent metaphor. It, it's a symbol for the believers and followers. So God, God is the good shepherd. And we are their sheep. What do the people listening to this story associate with goats? Do you know? Crazy uncleanness? No. No? Oh, they associate it with the Gentiles. You yes. Especially if it's a common symbol for Greece. Greece. Well, Go, goats, are, goats are a common symbol for Greece. Uh, Greece uh, considers the goat to be its national animal. They are huge goat herders. Uh, in, in Daniel, and there are references to Greece and Alexander the Great. He's referred to as a goat. Uh, you know, a, a, a goat skin is referring to Gentiles and Greeks. It, it's, it's, it's very much non-believers. That's what Christ is referring to. So this, this shepherd is separating his, his flock, his believers, from the non-believers and he's saying that the believers are the ones who are providing for, are caring for people that are uh, providing people with food and shelter, and they're 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 giving kindness because kindness to our fellow man is kindness to God, and rudeness to our fellow man is rudeness to God. We should really think <laughs> hard about that. <laughs> I'm being who I was made to be. You know, you know, brother. You're, let's admit it. You're kind of a goat. You, you are. You're be. kind of a goat. I'll admit I okay. can be. So, does this mean in Song of Solomon when he describes Kevin just pay you a compliment? A goats? Compliment? He ca he called you a goat. Yeah. He, he the compliment. Of yes. <laughs> but does that yes, mean in Song of Solomon? When he's talking about her hair being a flock of goats, he's calling her hair filthy Gentile hair. <laughs> flock of goats. Isn't what isn't that? What on earth is a flock of goats? He calls yeah. the girl's hair a flock of goats uh, running down the hill. Songs of Solomon. Yeah. What are you Solomon? talking? About? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I. I Kenny so. knows what I'm talking about. All right. Yeah. It's like a love story. <sighs> well, it is poetry. And it's yeah. like a love story. Yeah. He describes her hair as a flock of goats. Man, that's a good way to pick up a girl. Like, hey, girl, your don't, hair is... Don't run away. Yeah, you got don't run away. Oh, I thought you were running away. No, he's just throwing stuff away. Okay. It's okay. He loves us no matter what. I'm not so sure. <laughs> Me neither. Human love is feeble. And it's God's love is eternal. Oh, crap. Um, just hitting some high points from... This, from my notes in this section, uh, in the final judgment, there's three different judgments. The first is the judgment seat of Christ, where the faithful, and then there's the judgment of nations, where uh, he's going to judge basically the Gentiles and, and by nation. Then there's the great white throne judgment, where he's going to take the guilty and uh, basically cast them into hell. And the seat of Christ is where they uh, reward the faithful. What, what? Oh, can I see? Do you have a point? Say it, say it. Song of Solomon 4-1, sir. Um, yes. Your hair is like a flock of goats descending upon Mount Gilead. Your teeth are like a flock of sheep just shorn coming up from the washing. 
<laughs> Each has its twin. Not one of them is alone. Your lips are like scarlet rib ribbon. Your mouth is lovely. A great scripture. <laughs> I have no idea how that fits what we were, what we're currently talking about. Your hair a flock of goats. Okay. Dude, you gotta get a boombox and throw pebbles at her window and then hold that up on the little boombox until her dad comes out with a shotgun. <laughs> then you hop in the Camaro and drive away. Well, one thing, okay, Jesus time, because um, the use of shepherds were highly regarded in the Old Testament. But by the time Jesus' time came along, they were lowly and, and yeah. I think it's they're blue collar they're, folk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, they weren't very. Yeah. yeah, and still are. Mm. It's not a very high paying job. No. Does not require a lot of education. Yep. So all you do is just look after sheep, and that's about it. Pretty much. It's, yeah. it's that sounds it, like the easiest job in the world. You would think so, yeah. since there's no lions and bears attacking them anymore. So yeah. You just set up in a deer stand like anybody but Watkins. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. So, in the end, the sheep and the goats is God separating believers from the unbelievers. And how do we tell the believers? The believers are behaving like believers, and they're caring for people, and they're, 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 they're caring for the underprivileged and the hungry and the, the, the yeah. So... Basically, you can tell if you're a believer because if you're treating people as if everybody else is the way you would treat Christ. Make sense? Mm -hmm. Okay. And that's it. Uh, verse chapter 26 is super long, and I hope that we can get through it next week. But <clears throat> metaphors are over. The Olivet Discourse is over. And then Matthew lists one event after another that happened uh, the evening of Christ's arrests, and it was loaded. We were going from one specific thing for the other because things are moving quickly. It's in the middle of Passover, and Christ is crucified during the Passover. Uh, the punishment quickly follows the trial here, and um, to the point that it was so fast that even the uh, Pharisees were a little annoyed. They didn't want to have him crucified in the middle of their holiday. Uh, but, you know, they weren't in charge of it. The Romans were. And, you know, if you're going to let the Romans do it, Romans take care of business. Okay, so that's what we're going to look at uh, next week. And uh, then we've got maybe two more chapters. And Matthew rushes to a close where lots, and it, it, it's all pretty densely packed. So I'm thinking three more weeks, maybe four. Okay. Any last-minute thoughts that are actually on point and meaningful? I wasn't going to say anything. Okay, with that, I am signing off, uh, and I will see you guys next week.